Good morning. All right, is this coming through? All right, there we go. We got this thing working. Uh, my name is Andy, I'm the lead pastor here. Great to be here with you today. Um, I know it's a, it, the, the weather's feeling a little brisk this morning, but it's warming up. People are out. They're enjoying the sunshine today. So God bless you. Also, thanks for being here. Uh, it's always a joy to get to worship together, especially if this is your first time. It's a little bit of a lighter Sunday for us, uh, but that's okay. This is, a, this is a church. We used to meet in Kennesaw Elementary School, and we moved here during the pandemic. We are uh, a, a church that's a part of a ministry called Every Nation. So we're a part of something bigger than our single local church. And we love reaching people in our community, in our city. We love being a blessing to our city. Um, so if you like being a part of a church that's not just in the community, but is also for the community, uh, you've come to the right place. Uh, it really is a joy to be here with you today. And one last thing. I'm going to dovetail on my, my lovely wife's announcement on the 19th. We could have church service. I want this to be clear. We could make this happen on the 19th. But one of the things that we value in our movement and in our ministry is family, right? And our church is a, we have one of the highest participation rates of serving in a young church. And I love that. But what we thought is, hey, we can either do this. 90% of the staff is gone on vacation. You guys can do it. You can make it happen. Or you could participate with your family by watching online and in your jammies on the 19th. And so we're, we're, our hope is to actually be a blessing to you in that moment. And um, I think it's going to be great. So anyhow, uh, there we go. Woo! Ready? Happy Sunday. We're in a series called Miracles. And around the world, our Every Nation churches are preaching through some of the miracles in the book of John. We're going to get to that text here in just a minute. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of John. I won't be reading it yet, but as we get into it, let me share a story. It's true. You can fact check it. Uh, Renaissance painter. By the name of Felipe, excuse me, Filipino Lippi. Now I'm doing everything I can to not speak with an Italian accent in this moment, right? So I won't do you, I won't do the injustice, right? Filipino Lippi is an Italian Renaissance artist from the 15th century. So late, late 1400s, early 1500s, famous painter, and like many painters at the time, was commissioned right, to paint in cathedrals or chapels or, or a very wealthy, wealthy benefactor would have them come and paint literally in their homes. And you can find some of, of Filipino's work at different museums around the world. And one of his more notable paintings is in the London Gallery, and it's called uh, The Virgin and Child with Saints Jerome and Dominic. Now, if you guys are into art, maybe you know of this. I didn't. But of all the paintings that this man has painted, this is the one that gets all the critique. Like, people look at it, and they're like, something's wrong with this one. You walk by, and you look at it, and, and it's had more write-ups over hundreds of years. People have, art critics have looked at this painting, and they've said, it's just not quite right. There's no question that Filipino is an amazing painter, an amazing artist, but this one just is missing the mark a little bit. And so the proportions are a little bit distorted. The, the, the people in it, 
Uh, the virgin, her, she, she looks a little bit too like elongated and thin, and the perspective and proportions aren't right. The hills don't look right, right? Things just aren't right. And an art critic by the name of Robert Cumming was at the London Gallery Museum standing. If you've ever been to an art museum, some of you love that, some of you hate it, right? It could be a little boring, you know, if you're not into all that. But he's standing looking at the painting. And it occurs to him that this painting was never painted with the intent to be hung on the wall of a museum for people to just stand, walk, evaluate, stand, take out their little notepad, right? Critique it. That was never its intent. And so he thought to himself, this painting was designed to be put, its original purpose, it was commissioned for a chapel. He thought, I wonder if, dot, dot, dot. And in the middle of the museum, Robert Cumming gets on his knees and he looks up at the painting that's hanging on the wall and instantly all the proportions fall right into place. The perspective is now right. The people look proper. The hills are in the right place. If you know anything about the amazing painters of the Renaissance. Many of them painted entire, like, ceilings for you to look at from a very specific perspective. And if you're not in the right spot, you don't see it properly. Now, I can't fathom having that kind of talent. I can't paint normal, right? I mean, I, you would look like a, like a stick figure from a three-year-old if I was painting this painting. And this man is not only able to paint it, he paints it with such a unique perspective that you can only see it properly by getting on your knees in humility and in prayer. And finally, the perspective is in the right place. That is extraordinary. Now, you can probably figure out where I'm getting ready to go with this. But have you had the wrong perspective about things before? And the, the answer for all of us is yes. Of course we have. We have all seen things wrong because our position before God or before other people isn't right. We're not in the right place. You guys with me so far? I mean, think of it this way. You, you blow a gasket, right? You're angry, something happened, but you don't have all the facts yet. But you're, you know, you're, you're mad as a, as I like to say, mad as a wet hen, right? A little country for you right there. But you don't have all the facts. And then the facts come in and you realize, oh, I jumped to conclusion. Been there. Guilty. Or you, you size somebody up, the way that they speak, the words that they use, the, the dress that they have, the car that they drive, the home that they drive, and we, we measure someone, we slot somebody, we're putting them in the, the, the boxes of our mind, and we're, we're jumping to conclusion. We don't have the right perspective, and all of a sudden, as you spend time with that person, or you get to know that person, you discover, that's not what I thought. I assumed this and I had it all wrong. Guilty. 
do it all the time. See, it's easy for all of us to have the wrong perspective. I would go so far as we jump into the spiritual application of this and say that there is a blindness that many of us have. It's not even that we are seeing it improperly. It's that we don't see at all. And spiritual blindness is dangerous because you don't know what you're not seeing. You just don't see it. It's easy to have the wrong perspective or to be blind to what God is doing. I'm going through a hard time. God, where are you? I'm praying, but I, I, I'm not seeing you. And you just don't see what God is up to. I would submit to you this morning as we get into the Bible that what you need, what I need, isn't a just little tweak or a little adjustment. Many times we need the miraculous power of Jesus at work in our lives that we can see what God is doing, what he is up to, what he is trying to shape in you, what God's business is all about. Can somebody say amen? Not only do we need a new perspective, but we need the miraculous power of God to open Father, be with us as we get into the, the word today. I pray that you would do that. God, in this, in this old church building today, God, I pray for your miraculous grace and power to be at work upon us. God, wherever we are in our lives, single, married, divorced, hopeful, hopeless, frustrated, encouraged, Wherever we might be, God, let us, let us have eyes that see what you see. Amen. John chapter 9. Love this story. Here we go. John chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now this is a wild story. I mean, let's, let's, let's all, okay. Let's, let's, take a, let's take a step back from the text for a second. If you're familiar with it and you've read it a thousand times, try to hear it for the first time. Jesus has just left the temple. Okay? He's with his disciples. In the miracle prior to it, right? Jesus has walked on water. He's now teaching. He's fed the 5,000. Jesus is max celebrity status, but he's also making some people mad now, right? He's, he's stirring it up, right? He's making claims that, that no man should make, right? That, that, that somehow he is on par with, with some of the, the prophets of old, with Moses, with Elijah. This man needs to die. Right? And the plot begins. People are that stirred up. 
They want to kill Jesus, right? The crowd that in one breath was elated is now like, okay, you got to die. And Jesus just slips through the crowd. He leaves the temple and, and there finds a man outside the temple who was what? Born blind. And you need to understand the writer here, John, wants you to catch right out of the gate the tension. Jesus did what? He saw a man born blind. We are supposed to catch the tension that Jesus sees, but this man doesn't. And this man doesn't just not see a little bit. He has never seen. He was born this way and cannot change himself. He's born blind. And the disciples are like, okay, who, you know, what, what's the reason for this? What's going on? This man spent probably his whole life begging. And when you further read the text beyond this, he, people know who he is. So he, I mean, they know him. He's kind of a, he's the community staple. He's the community guy. He's the guy that's been born blind. We don't know his name. And he's there all the time. And so the disciples walk by with Jesus, and the assumption is that this man has done something to warrant being blind. Either he did, or his mom and dad did. Somebody in this man's history has done something real bad. And therefore, the consequence is that this person cannot see. And Jesus wants the record to be known. What is it that he says? I mean, I'm going to paraphrase some of it, but I'll even go back to the text here. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He's not saying, hear me, that this man's parents and this man have never actually, like, like, Mark the ticker, have never sinned, as in they're perfect and holy before the Lord. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What he is, however, saying is that the sin that these people commit, the, the sin of their lives, don't warrant what you're seeing in their lives. In other words, not every difficult thing that you're faced or, or hardship or pain point or, or moment of suffering is because you just did something bad and God is up on Mount Olympus with a magnifying lens burning the ants of his people, you know, just, you know, bam, or throwing lightning bolts. You did that? Well, get a load of this, buddy. You earned it. Wha-bam, you know, and oh, and that's how many of us live our lives, though, is it not? I, I had something difficult happen. I had something bad happen. And we, we immediately go to the tally sheet in our mind of, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? And we're, we're doing the math and the scale, and we're, we're trying to measure things because we feel like God is making us pay for things that we have done. What I'm not saying today is that your sin doesn't ever have earthly consequence. I think we can all agree that it does. If, if you're unfaithful to your spouse, for instance, your marriage isn't going to really be moving in the right direction. Can we all agree that that's the case? Your decisions have real life consequence. 
But in terms of things like, oh, the car accident, the speeding ticket. As a pastor, I've had a speeding ticket. Oh my gosh, I know, you're shocked, right? I have had one. I've had actually more than one in my 42 years of living. And when the whoop, whoop, you know, all of a sudden you're like, no, God, why? Lord Jesus, what have I done? Like, I don't deserve this. Like, you immediately go to the tally sheet in your mind of, God, what do I need to repent of real fast? You know, that this cop would just let it go. You know, you, we immediately start tallying things in our mind. Do we not? Obviously, there are other things that go through our minds as well in those moments. But many times, the, 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 the tally sheet of, oh, man, something bad happened. God, what did I do? And Jesus is, is correcting a little bit of, uh, of, of mis... What's the word? Theology here? Uh, the, the wrong ideas about God. But here's what I want to get to. Because there are people in this story that are blind that are not just the blind man. And they speak to us. The disciples are not seeing properly. And I love that Jesus' response it's gracious. This isn't one of his harder corrective moments. It's not rebuke, you know, he's not rebuking them. But understand this, the disciples want miraculous answers more than they want miraculous power in this moment. They want explanations more than they want transformation. They don't ever in this moment ask for Jesus to intervene. And yet, miraculously, they have seen Jesus do unprecedented, miraculous things, you would think that their first instinct at this point is, Jesus, like, hey, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this, you've done that, you've done it over here, how about you do it over here? But instead of, of the heart being compassionate and kind and, and drifting into a place of humility and seeing the value of this man, God, would you move powerfully in his life and what they really want is just give us an explanation of why he's in the place that he's in then i'll feel fine moving along my day i don't have to really pray i don't have to seek you as long as i can just understand how it all works how we got to this place what they're more interested in is an explanation more than transformation and how often do we do the exact same thing? Somebody's going through it. This was just this past week. Somebody's going through it, and my first instinct isn't to be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to set my alarm, and I'm going to get up early, I'm going to pray every day for you, for that thing, for that scenario. No, no, no. The first instinct is, how, how did, okay, how did we get here again? What's going on in your life? What? Tell me more. Give me the details that I might discern with all godly wisdom how we arrived here. And it takes a little bit of the load off and the pressure off if I can slot this thing or put this person in this box and understand how we got here. And the reality is many times Jesus isn't concerned with how we got here. He just isn't concerned with all the details. And I realize that flies in the face of all the counseling and all the therapy. And I love all that. I've been to a counselor. I've sat with a therapist. All the things. I get it. 
I love it. Thank you. But understand that Jesus isn't always interested. And I, I don't mean like he's callous to it. I don't mean that he's angry to it. My point is his power is not determined or defined by anything to do with how we got here. It doesn't matter how you arrived, where and how you arrived. His power is greater than all of it. And I have to remember that. Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And Jesus tells the crowd, excuse me, Jesus has just had a conversation. I'm, I'm trying to not make this message long-winded. It's not always the easiest. This is like one of those messages, like when you watch a Marvel movie, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to all this stuff. I love a good Marvel movie, and one of the things that makes a Marvel movie great is all the little Easter eggs, right, in the movie, like the little things that are pointing to other movies, and little secret things, and you're like, oh wait, I think they mentioned that, and Ant-Man, and the Wasp, or this and that, and there's all these little tie-ins and extra scenes at the end, if you sit and watch for the credits, right, there's like the hidden scene at the end. That's like this story in the Bible. There are so many things in it, little Easter eggs, pointing you to other things in Scripture. And we can't get to all of it. The crowd has just gotten furious with Jesus because Jesus has told them that unless they believe in him, they're going to die in their sin. Yikes. That's a hefty blow to your pride. And their response is, you don't even know us, bro. We are sons and daughters of Abraham. In other words, do you know who our dad is? We're related to Abraham, yo. Like, we don't play like this. You, you don't even know who we are. This is not our issue, Jesus. This is insulting. We are related to the father of faith. We are good to go. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter about your birth, sons and daughters. Who your spiritual father and mother is has no bearing here. If you don't repent, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to die in your sin. Get some rocks, Jesus. You've got to die for what you just said. And then before that, Jesus has just had a conversation with Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees. And what does he say? He says, Nicodemus... You're a teacher of the law, and I'm telling you, you've got to get this. You must be born again. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter that you're a scribe or that you're a teacher of the law. Your history, thank goodness, actually isn't the very thing that defines you. You think that your history is a good thing. And Jesus is helping them understand that your history is actually a bad thing. Like, thank God he doesn't hold our history against us. While we were still sinners, the Bible says Jesus did what? He died for all of us, for you and for me. That is the glory of the good news of the gospel. That while you contributed nothing to the equation, Jesus did it. All. And everybody said, 
Amen. See, we get stuck on our history. But Jesus sees the story that can still be written. We get stuck in thinking that our history is great, and we also get stuck thinking that our history is so bad that God can't possibly do anything. Which is why the disciples walk past the blind man, and they, th there's, no, there's no movement in their heart for this man to be healed or to be changed because in many ways, this man's situation must be hopeless. There's no hope for him. There's no, there's, no, there's no move of God for him. It's not possible. He's clearly wrecked things. Who actually did the wrecking? Was it his mom and dad or was it him? Who did it? Jesus says, man, you got this all wrong. You're not seeing right, disciples. You need what? You need a new perspective. You need a new heart. John 7, 24, John writes, don't judge by appearances. This is Jesus I'm quoting. Don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So I was working on this message. This is one of those that just... Even as you're writing it, you feel convicted because you know, like, I'm, I'm teaching this. I'm preaching this. But if I'm going to be really honest with you, I'm not, I'm not always victorious in this. I'm just not. I'll be perfectly transparent with you. Even in our own church. Right, my, my, our, our kids are at the baseball field. We've got kids doing sports. We've got kids in music. We've got kids involved in everything. And I'm always looking because I love a little evangelism. I love, you know, believing for folks and praying for folks. I, that is kind of how I'm wired. But there are times where even in my own breath, I'm thinking to myself, all right, I'm going to be a good Christian to this family or this person, but I don't really believe God's going to do anything. Like, like this guy or this person, whoo, God. I mean, I would never say that. I would never articulate that out of my mouth that I don't really believe it. But, but the truth is, somewhere deep in my heart, I'm thinking to myself, God, it, I mean, I believe in theory that you have the power to do it. But do I really believe that you're going to move in this person's heart and in their, in their life? Sometimes I don't. And then sometimes people surprise me. People walk through those doors at times. People that I invited who I thought they'll never come. And then they're there and you're like, oh my gosh. God's bigger than what I thought. God's moving in ways that I don't see. God is not interested in the history. He's not interested in the way somebody looks. He's not interested in the language that's coming out of their mouth. Hear me. God deals with our sin. I'm not saying that sin has no bearing or is completely insignificant. We will reap what we sow. Like, 
if, if this is how you live, don't be surprised at some of the consequences, but understand God still works and moves in the lives of people who look messy and look blind and are begging by the side of the road and the kind of people you would walk past day in and day out and not think twice about. Those are the people God is still moving in their lives, your lives, all of our lives. Stop putting people in a little bit of a judgy box and sizing up what God can and cannot do. God is all powerful. He's all powerful. It's a little toasty up here. Jesus offers more than miraculous explanations. And I know as Westerners, that's what we love more than anything else, don't we? Give me the details. Help me understand this. And many times you won't. You simply won't. You simply have to trust Jesus and ask for his power to move and then let him move. Jesus offers more than miraculous explanation. He offers miraculous power. And I want you to hear this. There is no one that is too lost to be found. That's one of the values here at our church. You're never too lost to be found. That means your kids, if you're praying for them, don't stop. Kids going through something, I get that. God's power is enough. It's big. God is big enough for your child. Marriage is going through it. Yeah. Guess what? God's power is big enough for it. It doesn't, it, it, it matters, but it doesn't matter what has happened in all the years leading up to it. Yes, it matters, but it doesn't matter for God's power. Somebody's sick, somebody needs healing, somebody's broken. Somebody's going through it. Somebody needs financial breakthrough. Somebody needs a job. Somebody's desperate. Somebody needs to put their faith in Jesus. Guess what? God's power is big enough. God is amazing. And Jesus shows us in this moment that it's more than just your history and it's more than just the details. Lean into the God of miracles and let him move. Stand to your feet, please. John writes this, or Jesus, Jesus says it like this. He says, this happened so that what? So that the works of God might be displayed. And that's hard for us at times to wrap our minds around it. There are things in our lives that have happened not because you sinned or did something and earned it and God's given you something because of it, but that God has arranged all the pieces so that his glory might be revealed. And the difficulty, the pain, the challenge or the suffering, where you've got to believe for God's miraculous power is so that God can release his miraculous power. And that people would see and marvel at God's goodness and his faithfulness. 
What do you need today? Friday, we're going to have a moment of, of what we call a, a night of breakthrough. It's just prayer. It's prayer. It's worship. There'll be a little teaching. And then we're going to pray for God to just move in people's lives. We call that breakthrough, whatever it might be. But we're going to start that even literally today, right now. What do you need God to do? Ask Him. What miracle are you believing for? Ask Him. Don't quit. Stop trying to get all the explanations and all the details. Just trust Him right now and ask Him to move in your situation. Father, I pray right now, even as our, our church is standing, some standing, some sitting, God, everybody has a different story and everybody has a different just measure of stuff going on in their lives. God, things that they're carrying, things that they're going through. God, on behalf of other people, some in their own lives, God. And many times we don't see you. Many times we don't see the situation right. Many times we don't see the people right. Many times we just don't see right. God, I pray miraculously now that you would begin a work in our heart that we might see you as the miracle-working God that you are. Who is like you, Lord? No one. God, and with humble hearts, God, we come to you and we're asking, Lord, in humility, in supplication, we're asking that you would move. Wherever you are today, I pray that just even just whisper it right now to him. Pray it in your mind right now. What do you need God to do? Ask him to do it and believe for him to move. God, I pray right now over all the things prayed for today. God, that you would hear the prayers of your people and that you would move powerfully, Lord. Move miraculously now. In sickness and in health. God, in our situations, our jobs, families and kids. Move miraculously, Lord. Amen.